Good morning and happy Thursday. Today is September the 14th. I'm your host, Ram Christopher. And I'm Kyle Christopher. This is Everything's Political. We have a pretty large lineup for you today. Uh, In national news today, the biggest oil deficit since 2007 will hit in the fourth quarter as Saudi Arabia cuts supply. And from D.C., Tesla CEO Elon Musk says, There was overwhelming consensus for regulation on artificial intelligence after tech heavyweights gathered in Washington to discuss AI. In labor news, Ford, ex-CEO, warns of the looming UAW strike. Looking forward to election 2024, GOP presidential candidate Vivek promises to cut federal jobs by 75% if elected. What? Yeah, we're going to have to see what he's talking about there because I don't know if I can get on board with that one. In local news, NYC open streets are cannibalizing local businesses in northern Brooklyn. I think we have to really come up with that uh, segment of uh, I told you so. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> in transportation news, W train service resumes after lines suspended for most of the day when Vandal smashed 97 windows on 45 trains. Yikes. I have to say that's pretty pretty impressive, right? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and Amazon opens its new Manhattan offices in the former Lloyd and Taylor building. Oh, can't wait to see that one. Of course, we have our WTF story, but we're going to go ahead and swing it on over to our first national story. Um, so amid tight global supplies, the oil market is expected to face its biggest deficit in over a decade. That's as Saudi Arabia has extended its output cuts while Russia plans to continue limiting exports. Crude oil prices rallied again on Tuesday after OPEC released market projections. Saudi Arabia's output cuts will exacerbate tight global supplies with the oil market expected to face its biggest deficit in over a decade. According to Bloomberg calculations of the latest data from the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, the amount of oil OPEC is pumping in the third quarter is about 1.8 million barrels per day, less than what is needed to meet demand. By the fourth quarter, the deficit is projected to widen, forcing countries to tap oil stockpiles to over to cover the shortfall. If OPEC production stays flat, as millions have indicated, inventories will shrink by 3.3 million barrels per day, the most since at least 2007, according to Bloomberg. So you're basically telling me that gas is going to be like $6. I mean, it looks like it could get on up there. I wouldn't be surprised if it reached those numbers. Um, You know, there's a lot that I could pull out of this. I mean... Uh, if this is happening in America, I'd say, yeah, it makes sense. Are people going on strike? Uh, not really sure what's happening there, but I, I do think that obviously, uh, Saudi Arabia is playing that the good, um, the good capitalistic game, uh, system game or whatever you want to call it. Um, they're, they're trying to conduct good business and make some money. Uh, that, that's what I would say, but would you say that they're being compelled because, you know, Certain policies in America are saying that we need to go green and that means that they want to, you know, maximize the amount of profit they make if we're not going to be using gas in 40 in 20 years or 
or, or 13 years or whatever it is. That's exactly what I said. Uh, that's exactly what I think. I mean, I think like, obviously, if you look at this, some people will be like, oh, Saudi is the boogeyman. Um, but I think that they're being smart and they're trying to make sure that their uh, economy stays strong throughout the fallout of oil, of oil and gas. Obviously, we see the far left always pushing the agenda of climate change and the agenda of, oh, people who drive are, you know, demonic or something. Um, and, and that type of, 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 I guess, um, rhetoric is also going, getting over to, you know, other countries and in, in, in the middle, in middle East is paying attention to what's taking place. We have all this rise of electric ca- cars. Obviously, uh, we mentioned Elon Musk on here. He's one of those people who made electric cars. Um, but we've also, we also see that there is a, a, a big push to go green, as you say, um, in America. And we've been doing so. And we, and, and despite not being the, the biggest, polluters or any of that obviously that's china um we're the ones that are facing all of the guilt for it right and we have our far left crowd a lot of our elected officials constantly telling us oh no 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 you're you're the boogeyman if you're you're driving these cars that are gas guzzlers well it looks like uh, saudi arabia is taking note and they're saying, okay, well, we're going to do what's best for our, the interests of our country. We don't want to change the way we're living. We want to make sure that our people, you know, are able to uh, flourish and continue to get the services that we have to offer them. So we're going to raise the stock of our most vital, essential or vital resource. And we're going to make sure you pay for it. That's that's what they're doing. So, so you know, I, I agree with you, but I think that there's a little bit more to it. I think that, um, you know, there's a political play here, too, because... You know, what we don't often mention is that and this is in the light of uh, Biden yesterday announcing that we were going to cut our carbon footprint by 50 uh, percent or 45 percent oh, right. um, in, in 20 years or in, by 2043 or something like that. But, you know, when we're looking at that right now, the reason why we're talking about that and the hidden hidden story is that if you charge your electric car, unless you have a turbine or you're in a, a place that has some kind of other power, you have solar power panels on your roof. You know, you have some kind of alternative uh, electric system or uh, energy system providing your power. Your car is being run by gas, regardless if it's a battery that's getting charged up or you put you, you pull up to your <laughs> Sunoco or your or your shell and, and you fill up. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still powered by gas. So I think the Saudis are playing a really smart game here because they're going to make it that they're putting pressure on, 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 on our president and our politicians because they're not being truthful about where our energy is coming from and you know when we see things like you know the nuclear uh uh what do you call it i forgot what they call it decommissioning Mm -hmm. of of so many nuclear plants in um in in the united states we are further and further away from actually that clean energy future that we so much we so talk about um so you know i think saudi is very smart i don't think that necessarily you know and and that plays into our great uh, one of the comments has been like you know uh, I guess seasoning, putting some sasson on our on our show this week, and that, and that you know, um, AOC had retweeted the new uh, the New Zealand um, uh, I guess elected official that said you know it's corporations that are causing this global um, thing, and it's not American corporations because we know that gas is so fundamental to everything we do from getting our streets going to even that electric train that you're taking that subway that we're going to talk exactly. about is powered by gas. Yeah. They have, a, it has a third rail and it's electricity, but what powers that are these huge um, oil burning facilities. Right. So, you know, 
everything is powered by oil um, for the most part, you know, and everything else that we talk about, our wind, solar, and all that other stuff, is on the it's ancillary. It's 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 you know, it's less than a single digit percent of all energy produced in the United States when you look at all these all these things. And the big push, the big the big uh, uh, thing, that, the thing that carries the weight, the atlas that has the globe on its shoulder is oil. And, you know, Saudi understands that a lot of the American public is looking at it and thinking and starting to believe what these politicians are saying because exactly. they've bought into to, to the more to the moronic uh, um, demagoguery that, uh, you know, these these far left, the far left comes with. And, you know, unfor- that's unfortunate, but that's what it is. So, you know, you think you're doing something great by by getting a Tesla, but you're still burning gas. And guess what? You're also if you're if you're one of those people saying, oh, you're pro the Middle East and you're far left, you're actually not because you're actually hurting their economy overall. I just that's the point I want to make. This is something that they depend on uh, a lot of uh, the, you know, the the Middle East and African nations. uh, They depend on on this <laughs> and uh you're you're saying oh no 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 uh this is too bad but it, it, honestly i also want to shift over to america and its dependency on these other nations like if we were not like cowtowing and always like going and um you know just listening to whatever the far left tells us we would also have a lot more stability in this in this need and in in having this need being met for ourselves because we'd be fracking where we could. And yeah, I know people say this is the bad. We'd be drilling. We have our own resources, our own reserves, and we'd be cracking into that and that would be helping our economy. But because we have, you know, again, yielded to China because that's what we're doing by doing this because China is the greatest polluter. By far and away. And, 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 you know, in so many ways, but we, you know, and that's a communist nation. You know, so just, you know, <laughs> supposedly, allegedly. Right. So, you know, they're the greatest polluter. Um, but here we are, Americans. We don't even have nearly anywhere close to the population, close to the output of, of these of this particular country, but here we are always apologizing. Um, and I think like if we would actually do things that are more in line with making sure our economy run and making sure that we get our oil reserve, our, um, you know, (laughs) our oil reserves up, making sure we're drilling in and, 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 and doing the proper things, we would, um, be in a far better place, but I'm going to go ahead and move it on over. And we're going to talk a little bit more about something that's also going to be a big part, a big industry, um, AI, artificial intelligence. Uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk says there was overwhelming consensus. Uh, They were just in Washington, D.C., and tech bosses attended the meeting, including Meta's Mark Zuckerberg and Google boss um, and Google's boss, as well as Microsoft's former CEO, Bill Gates and Microsoft's current CEO. Um, They were all in attendance uh, this Wednesday meeting with U.S. lawmakers it was held behind closed doors. The forum was convened by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer um, and included the tech leaders as well as civil rights advocates. The power of artificial intelligence for good, for both good and bad, has been the subject of keen interest from politicians around the world. In May, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, testified before a U.S. Senate committee describing the potential pitfalls of the new technology. ChatGPT and other similar programs can create incredible human-like answers to questions, but can also be wildly inaccurate. I think if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong. We want to be vocal about that, Mr. Altman said. We want to work with the government to prevent that from happening, he said. There are fears that the technology could lead 
to mass layoffs, turbocharge fraud, and make misinformation more convincing. Well, I mean, duh. Uh, <laughs> duh. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we've been watching movies for what, how long? Terminator? Yeah. About this and the fact that these people need this idea that they need to have a convention, they need to have like a conference about this is. It's kind of sickening, and it kind of like it, it. I guess there's a a story that it makes me think about um, right now. Um, Mitt Romney is retiring, right? And maybe some of these guys are too old. Chuck Schumer has no idea what he's what what they're talking about. Um, a lot of these guys are too old. They're out of touch. They are. They're, they're out of touch. And like, if you ask any millennial, like, do we need oversight on this? We wouldn't need to convene. Yeah. Like um, we. we <laughs> I, I've always said automation is the devil like i do not want to ring up my own groceries when i'm going through the checkout at walmart you know we're talking about loss of jobs people not having money and all these other things go and get a job at walmart we could do that right back in the day before you decided to make this kiosk that still needs a person to come over anytime that i buy something uh or if it, it, it has any hang-ups you still need a person to come over and fix it <laughs> like these i i'm rare i'm opposed to robots i think that they're like humans are stupid in general like at the the masses we're, we're we're not perfect we're not perfected we're not great and then we're creating these things and they're supposed to now run our world come on give me a break yeah i mean like <laughs> i could just count down movies the matrix it only leads to bad things <laughs> right so i mean obviously like we want a blending of ai that makes life easier and and bridges that gap of imperfection with humans but we don't want full out ai and like, you know, like you can ask any, I, I really think like any millennial, like let them elaborate on what they believe about AI. And, you know, obviously if you just start asking people on the street, you're going to get dumb answers because you cut, cut them off guard. But you give somebody a, a pen and paper or a, 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 give them a Google doc and tell them, let's write it out. Give me a page about why you, your pros and cons of Google, of, of, of Google, of um, AI. You're definitely going to get some reasoned answers and a lot more, a lot more people that will appear to be very educated or very at least read on this subject or have a good concept of what they think about this, right? Or have a concept at least, right? Because you have to wonder what does Chuck Schumer and why do they need 60 senators to ask all these people, you know, flying Elon Musk, flying Bill Gates um, to say these things and when it's like almost common sense for us. I think honestly they probably were just trying to meet with them so they could <laughs> try to fatten up their uh, their war chest, to be honest. This is their opportunity to get in front of some of the richest guys in the country. This is the opportunity for them to be like, hey, you know my name, right? Hey, hey guy, how are you? Can you can you like wink, wink, give me a Tesla? Or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hey, you know what I mean? Like these is, this is a mo moment for them to fanboy and fangirl out. I saw AOC's Tesla that she still drives. Right. And I really like it. What uh, Could you hook me up? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, no thanks. I'll stick to a Ford. Um, it is American made too, right? It's American made too. It's it, it's helping industries. But anyways, um, listen, I think that, uh, you know, AI, there are, like you said, there are pros and cons to it. I, I think ChatGPT was pretty cool until I saw what it did with for that lawyer. And I'm like, our lawyer is now just going to be writing their briefs off ChatGPT. And the dude <laughs> wrote all that case law that was completely incorrect and i'm like <laughs> completely made up completely made up like all the court cases were just like what like they they never existed they were fabricated he didn't check it i'm like okay so is that what we have to look forward to that we hire like a lawyer and they're not even going to do their work anymore they're just going to say hey 
write me a brief chat GPT. Like, uh, no, I don't like it. And, and also I think that it's a problem too for our kids. This is the point I wanted to bring up about a problem being for our children and in schools. And we know that so many kids in college and in high school were using chat GPT to write their papers, their term papers, their book reports, all kinds of things. And if you imagine like you're spending money on your education and you're just using this software to like to learn the skills on how to write so that you can flourish in the real world and be able to do your job and be able to write and all that. But if you're letting chat GPT do it, you kind of cheat yourself more than kind of you cheating yourself out of your education and what it means to like be able to form a thought and be able to do critical thinking um, because you're letting the robot do it, which is someone else's mind working for you because the robot isn't, doesn't have a mind of its own. It's a bunch of minds combined over the internet and the things that it's been fed in order to spit out something that sounds articulate. Right. Definitely. And I think that, um, you know, we could go on and on about it because like I said, We've had so much as, as millennials and people our generation have just had so much, uh, I don't know if it's indoctrination or at least uh, been warned about the perils of AI and it's been part of the biggest movie, some of the biggest movie franchises. And, you know, like, obviously, if you're an older person, you know, these guys were in their 50s when these movies came out already. They were in their 60s when these movies came out, came out some of these guys. So, you know, maybe the message just went over their head. And uh, maybe you're right. Maybe they just went to shake some hands and get some donations, uh, get their donations cracking. But, you know, it, it's all, it, I mean, it's always fundraising season, right? It is. Um, so, you know, just, just, it's just, it is what it is um, as far as that goes. But I guess, I guess it's a little bit of, 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 of what we're talking about, bureaucratic waste, huh? Yeah, it, it, definitely that. And, and as we're, we were talking about, I mentioned Ford a few minutes ago. And Elon, obviously, I, I love Tesla. It's awesome. Like, truly, if you listen. <laughs> um, I love Tesla, but I, I'm, a, I'm a Ford girl. I like me a truck. So, and I don't, I'm, I'm not watching my carbon footprint. I'm sorry. Okay, as Detroit automakers and labor leaders scramble to hammer out a contract that will shape the future of the U.S. auto industry, former Ford CEO Mark Fields has words of caution for both sides. Fields, who led Ford between 2014 and 2017, warning the big three, the traditional name for the legacy automakers, Ford, GM, and Stellantis, not to cave to labor demands in a way that leaves them in a precarious financial situation and at a competitive disadvantage, even as the workers who build the cars eye their healthy profits. The automakers can't plead poverty. Fields told CNN on Wednesday, noting the industry's recent string of profitable years. They will need to find a creative way to package a fair contract that rewards workers, but do it in a way that doesn't repeat the mistakes of the past. Fields noted that GM and Chrysler both declared bankruptcy in 2009 during the Great Recession. The United Auto Workers Union is seeking significantly a, a significant concessions from GM. Ford and Stellantis, initially pushing for a 40% pay hike over four years, restoring cost of living increases, bringing back traditional pension plans, and restoring retiree health care coverage. The UAW contract with the Big Three expires at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday. If no deal is reached, a strike could begin at midnight on Friday. There has never been a simultaneous strike against all three major U.S. automakers, which today 
make nearly half of all domestically assembled cars. Oh, goodness. And again, like, so we have hot union or what, what is it? Hot labor summer. Yeah. And we have our far left politicians leading this, this, this cause. And ultimately they're looking at the pockets just as they did with, you know, Amazon of the company and saying that we can do this, not realizing because, you know, some of them are so young that, you know, 15 years ago, the reason why we have Stellantis and not Chrysler is because these companies reorganized and they actually did go broke before. Yeah, completely broke. Um, and, it, you know, it, it hurts the business and it's going to hurt the actual worker as well because they're going to be completely out on their rears. Right. Just like, like That's why they're asking for those pension plans to be put back in because they lost them because they asked for too much mm-hmm. and now they have nothing. For retired workers. Um, and, you know, the other other facet of it is that, you know, when we're talking about what, how do we pay taxes, right? Where do we get this revenue from? And if Ford, GM, and Stellantis are providing so much revenue and we handicap them by taking them out of production for two months, three months, who benefits from that? Toyota? Exactly. So right? Like, Audi? That's why I have to ask. Volkswagen? Like, far left. Like, are y'all like, are y'all really like China agents? Like, I just have to wonder, like, because it seems like everything that you do comes right back around to exactly that. It seems like that you're always pushing China's agenda. Yeah, or, c- consistently decreasing the amount of revenue that we're able to take in while increasingly asking for more and more programs. It's a, it's a recipe to bankrupt the country. Not only these companies, but to bankrupt the country. It's just plain and simple. Yeah, because you tell people, you create these like unrealistic expectations that a worker is supposed to have for like their company being able to give them because you want them to give them everything in the world. Like They're supposed to have as much as the CEO. Every worker in the company is supposed to be paid exactly what the CEO is being paid, even though the CEO has all the risk. Um, and then it's like, and then it's like, you know what, if they don't give it to you, just don't go to work. You know what I mean? Don't go to work. So then we end up having all these people unemployed. We have all these people not getting benefits, not being able to provide for their family. And then they're like, what now relying upon the government entirely where they were working and and lost that revenue. And then I can't put any more money into the economy. And then you're like, well, you know, inflation isn't real. Right. ALC. Yeah. It's, 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 it's alarming where we're headed to and, you know, what the real cost of hot labor summer are. And it's not it's not going to be, you know, oh, well, we got over on the big companies because they're going to relocate. They are. You know what I mean? It's just like the same way. You know, a, there's a reason why we're talking about the Amazon building today. Right. Um, and they'll relocate in a place that's better for them. And that's not un-American because it's all about the pursuit of happiness. Right. It's all about life and liberty. And obviously, their freedom is being is being impinged upon, uh, infringed upon. Sorry, and um, their uh, their ability to make money and to to pursue happiness is is being infringed upon. So they're gonna move as a company, right? And that's just what it is. They're not gonna. They're even more profits are gonna leave this side, and that means even more tax revenue is gonna be collect. Even less tax revenue is gonna be collected by the United States. They either leave this side or they completely go out of business, which I don't want to happen. I mean, again. I'm a Ford driver. I support Ford. Um, and what, what you know, other thing that we talked about, and I just want to bring it up because you talked about how high the cost of some of these domestically made cars are now. If you like, if you've ever checked out the price of a Bronco and like what it was and what you expect it to be, 
you would right, be because of demand. demand, right? Because we don't have the same amount of workers to work. We don't have the same amount of, you know, I guess operational hours, the same amount of, because we've had made all these uh, allowances so that people, um, I guess, are getting the benefits or whatever uh, demands that they want within their unions. So we have less on the market. And though that has driven cost ups. Like if you bought a car in the last two years, you know how much you're paying. You're paying a lot more, especially if you're buying domestically. Right. So so we could kind of speak to this too because a Ford Bronco should cost around fifty to sixty thousand dollars. If you go searching for a Ford Bronco right now, you're gonna pay a hundred thousand dollars if you're getting it today. If you don't want to wait in line to get it, because you have to wait because production is so slow. And that means that if we like, have if we have that strike right now. What's the cost of that car going to be now? What, 140, 150, 200,000? And guess what? Toyota's going to be offering a Tundra truck with the lift kit for 60 or for 40 or 45 because they're, they're shrewd at business and they understand how to take advantage of our political mess. And that's what's going to happen. And you know where that tax money is going to go? Of course, some of it's going to land here through you know, the Toyota workers. All the big CEOs that take home all the big dollars, they're offshore and they're in Japan. So that's what's going to happen. So I pray that they're able to come to some kind of consensus here with uh, our automakers because they are a big part of our industry. They're a big part of our economy. And also, I want them to get their, you know, fair share, but also realistic, being realistic within those confines of what it means. Because if you're an employee, you don't, you shouldn't expect to make what you make in the C-suite or as the employer. That's just what it is. Well, you shouldn't even expect to make as much as a manager. Let's be real. Like, let's be real. Like, you know, they... The the funny part about it is that, you know, the left always wants to devalue the work of everyone else and say that there's nothing to it that labors everything. But there are other parts of making a business run. There's that intellectual capital. Because guess what? Hammering on a, a door onto a car is not intellectual camp capital. There are people that, first off, the OSHA workers that you'll support in one moment, but in the next moment, because those are the guys that are managers, right? The guys with the OSHA that will tell you, oh, you're doing it wrong. You're going to break your hand or you're going to do something like that. Well, he doesn't deserve anything. He's, you know, part of the capitalist machine. But, you know, in the next moment when their union goes to strike, you'll support them because you want to cripple American business ultimately. You know, that's that's ultimately what it is. If we have all these businesses striking all at once with inflation already spiraling out of control, the cost of American goods are only going to continue to go up because of scarcity. Sounds like a Soros dream, <laughs> a Soros wet dream. <laughs> All right, we're going to go ahead and move on over to... Election 2024. <laughs> yes, and we're going to be talking about Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, he wants to cut federal workforce by 75%. Can you read that for me? He argued in a new speech that he would have the executive authority to do so. Building on a key part of his pitch to conservative voters, Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy said during a speech in the nation's capital on Wednesday that he wants to cut the federal workforce by 75%, in part by dismantling the government. Ramaswamy spoke at the American First Policy Institute headquarters in Washington, D.C., and argued that if elected, he would use the executive authority to shut down redundant federal agencies and to reorganize the federal government accordingly. Flanked by poster boards detailing his plan, Ramaswamy described 
his vision to reconfigure the federal government, saying he was debunking the myths that have been told by members of the bureaucracy about what the president can do when it comes to restructuring the government. Ramaswamy laid out his plan to reconfigure the federal government to revive the promise that the constitutional republic with three branches of government rather than four by targeting agencies such as the FBI, Department of Education, Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and Explosives, and the Food and Nutrition Service. Have you ever heard of the Food and Nutrition Service? What the hell do they do? <laughs> I've never heard of that. Like, <laughs> I, they're not very uh, known, but I have heard of them, heard about them. But you know, like we are very bureaucracy heavy in America, and it seems like under you know um, lefty pres- leftist presidents or democratic presidents, it seems like the bureaucracy always grows more and more. Um, but yeah, I, you know, like I don't know though. Hey, I feel like I have to I have to debate that because. We got the Office of Homeland Security out of George W. Bush. Oh, I'm not. And that was one of the largest like, bureaucratic ads in, in our nation. But I feel like that one was so needed at the time, right? It was needed. Um, it, they may not have done everything correctly, but I think that it was needed during the time. Uh, I say this as someone who was discriminated against during that time period, but I'll say that uh, you, you're, you're doing, you, he was acting in the, in the best of he thought what was best for the country, even though some of it was smokescreen. I think that it was a way of looking like a strong man and being able to, you know, try to garner some, uh, some belief again in the government as obviously nine 11 happened. And that makes you look like you really dropped the ball and you, you want to <laughs> look like a strong, strong leader there. Well, I mean, speaking of strong man, like I think that, you know, the Vic is taking that, that tack again and he's trying to look like a, a strong man and uh, say that he's going to cut 75% of the government. I, I just, I can't see that being feasible. I mean, I agree, I agree. Like, the food and nutritional services, like, what are they doing that the USDA is not doing and the Department of Agriculture is not doing? Like, I have a hard time believing that. And then, you know, that speaks to redundancy there because, like, you know, agriculture and USDA, um, you know, they're definitely um, – well, the USDA is the Department of Agriculture. Yeah. Right, right. So, I'm, I'm confused. I'm a little – too much coffee this morning. Okay, but like you know, you—they're definitely like you know. Obviously, the best one is obviously with the the law enforcement because like you know, what do certain like what does the ATF do? Like you know that local police, state police, um, your FBI, your all these other agents, agent agencies, DEA. What do they cover that they don't cover? Like you know, like I don't understand exactly what the ATF does that that doesn't that that can't be done by other agencies. And that, you know, we always have those um. Those moments, I guess I'm, I'm very movie heavy today, but like there's so many movies where like, you know, they start to teach you about jurisdiction and how that works. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, this is, you know, the feds took over and this group took over. And then like this group of feds has more jurisdiction or has jurisdiction and that group of feds doesn't. So it speaks to the, you know, definitely the redundancies that we do see. But 50 percent, I mean, 75 percent just seems like an unreal number. It's just a, a demagogue, uh, you know, line. All right, I'll give you that on that on this one. It does seem like it's a little bit of uh, of pandering in some ways. He's probably pandering to the far right crowd, and I think uh, you know talking about dismantling the FBI is probably a nod because of them being upset over you know what's happened to Donald Trump, right? I think that a lot of that would 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 be about that. Um, but you know, I, I'm not really sure where he's getting the 75 percent number. Um, I, I would say that. I can't, I'm, I'm trying to scroll back up to look and see what he is trying to dismantle here. Yeah, maybe some of these things are redundant. I definitely agree with him on the Department of Education and, and fixing that mess 
um, that we have in the country uh, because I think the Department of Education out of all of these groups is one that needs to be dismantled. Not to say that it's going to be completely abolished, but you definitely can get in there and fix it so that they're not able to subsidize uh, certain um behaviorals that they've been doing um in past years i think that that's one smart thing that he's ran on that uh makes a lot of sense i don't like the 75 percent number seems really excessive it's redundant we know that the bureaucracy of the government is redundant i took a class uh at ou back in the day was literally i think entitled the bureaucracy and we got into the ins and outs of how these com- the departments had like you know some of the same titles over and over again and what it looked like and my professor actually came out of that very bureaucracy and he talked about it and how that it was like and he was a democrat and he talked about how you can't get anything really done like it's a lot of like you know nothing being done because it's just a way for people to um, stay relevant. Now, the argument I want to talk about is if if he's talking about appointments versus like actual like, I guess, um, uh, permanent jobs, right? If he's trying to get rid of the permanent jobs, I'm not for it. Um, if it's some of the appointments, I'm very much for it because I think a lot of it is um, garnered at politicizing uh public servant jobs where it's like it shouldn't all be politicized it should be more so if there's a stream about doing the job, about doing the job and doing it effectively regardless of who the president is and and, and doing your role and so that there's not so much I think we do a lot of waste when we're like, oh, the administration's gone until the whole administration gets swept out and we're wasting a lot of money like reissuing certain badges and all those types of things and clearances when we could be just working on, you know, career public servants who don't care uh, one way or the other. They're just there to serve the country. So if some of that spending comes from that, then um, I mean, cuts come from that, then I'm all for it. Um, I think that um, people, um, you know, get, you know, sometimes they get a lot of good treatment just because they, you know, donate it or something during a campaign and now they have a job and maybe they don't need it. Right. Um, they make it or they make a, a job for somebody that didn't really do anything. Not capable of actually doing the job or have no actual, they have no actual experience in the field that the job per- pertains to. They have experience in campaign politics or they have experience in knowing people basically. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're qualified to do the job that you have. Yeah, so I I, I could see it that way, but I wouldn't have put out like a number or percentage because you're going to be held to that afterwards. But I think that, I mean, again, I can't find a lot of fault with a guy. I understand his way of thinking in some ways. Um, I wouldn't have put out a number, though. I, I won't completely concede to you that it's demagoguery, but I think that I know he's obviously nodding to his far right crowd and they want to see something being done because they hate a large government. Obviously, that's the stance of the GOP, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean, I, I definitely see your point, and I agree with that point as well. But, you know, there's is there something else you got? Yeah, what? I wanted to say, but you have to admit that it's so much easier to get anything done in the state of Oklahoma versus getting it done in the state of New York. And New York has a large bureaucracy where Oklahoma doesn't, and you don't have all that super regulation, all all of those extra taxes, and, and like, you know, and those taxes go so that that person can have a job, right? Those those individual people that could have a job that didn't really do anything, and now they're in this position, they give them a title of nothing, and then here you go, that's that tax that you're now collecting so that person can have a job but in Oklahoma you can cut through all that red tape and you get a lot more I feel like bang for your buck especially if you're like a business owner or something right I mean I agree in New York you have to file a permit just to ask a question 
Right? I mean, you, <laughs> so I mean they literally... You have to fill out a page, a 311 page, just to ask a question. You have to file a permit. Right. Just to ask a question, right? That's just, that's where we're at at this point in time, if you really want to get technical with it. um, You know, when you think about the amount of information that you have to give in order to get a governmental response on something as simple as, like, there's raccoons in my backyard. Um, and on your own property, On right? my property, and I need, like, animal control, so I have to fill out a whole form instead of being able to just call up animal control directly and say, I need you guys out here. Tell me what time you'll be here. Um, the more yeah. I talk, I'm starting to feel like, am I a freaking Republican? <laughs> like, I don't know, but I mean, yeah, it's like, it's really getting, yeah. But yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like in a logical approach, it's like, you do kind of see, like, you, you see what I'm saying, right? Like, I, I don't want to sound like I'm crazy, but I think that it's, uh, well, I, I mean, yeah, you definitely, and, and some of these things, like even 311, best of intentions from Bloomberg. And what, what Bloomberg was trying to do was like, okay, you're not going to need a phone book and we're moving into this digital age and we have all these people, all these, all these agencies that don't necessarily have uh, operators and can't necessarily feel the volume of calls that might come in. But then Bloom, but de Blasio perverts um, 311, which was a dial-in thing, into you're going to go on the internet and fill this thing out and like we'll get back to you when we get back to you. We'll email you back That's how to some shit that like might be like life or death, but you don't know because you're like, well, I, I don't know if I should call 911, so I'm going to do 311, and then you end up filling out a form, and somebody gets back to you with an email. Yeah, and obviously there's obviously a lot better things. A lot of a lot of things are much better in New York, but there's also a lot of things that aren't much better. Um, so and, and in the offing, like there's an IT administrator, the person that's going to answer the email from whatever office. Like there's like three or four jobs that you could just think of for each call that would be created just to make that call happen, whereas you would have just been calling the secretary at the animal control that would have been there every day no matter what, and is still there in that job. You know your, your experience at time when you, you made a call into, I believe it was the FBI in Oklahoma, and you were like, oh, my God, I got a direct call in. Remember that experience, what you had, and you were like, oh, I was expecting that I would be talking to their secretary or somebody, and then it was like directly to the person, and you were like, oh, my God, I wasn't ready. <laughs> ready. It was, it was, I, think, I think it wasn't it was the, uh, it wasn't that, it was the, um, it wasn't the, it was it wasn't the FBI. It was like their Oklahoma OBI or whatever. Or whatever. Okay, OSBI. OSBI, yeah. Oh, okay, like, okay. Yeah, but yeah, like you talk directly to the people that you need to talk to to get things done. It's kind of kind of thing that we're talking about, and you know, talking about you know how the best of intentions can turn into the worst of nightmares. We're gonna move to local news. Go ahead, Ram. Oh, thank you for keeping me on pat uh, on track there, because I uh, I kind of get a little excited about Vivek there, because some of his stuff. Kind of makes sense. Okay. Open streets cannibalizing these Brooklyn businesses. Locals. Washington Avenue business owners are joining a growing contingency of Brooklyn locals who say open streets are doing more harm than good. I told you so. <laughs> this is this is a definitely you you did tell us so um and although i can be a bit of a hipster i did like these open streets to begin with but they do become a nuance if you do have to drive or you know you maybe have a child and a stroller even um so prospect heights new york survived a global pandemic by the brooklyn mexican restaurants owners oh no no oh that okay Oh, oh, sorry. I skipped a line there. I'm sorry about that. Is that Citrico survived a global pandemic, but the Brooklyn Mexican restaurant's owner says open streets might soon spell it soon spell its doom. 
Okay, so I've never heard of this. You've heard of this restaurant? No, Citrico? I don't know. Citrico? I thought that was, I, I didn't even I mean, I realize it. I thought it was. Like, there's a, an thousands outlet. of restaurants in, New, in, in Brooklyn alone, so forgive us. Yes, yeah, sorry about that. Um, so, Nora Shikari is among over 1,200 Brooklyn Knights who say a nearby open street has clogged Prospect Heights streets, endangering local businesses and putting pedestrians at risk, according to organizers on the ground. Shikari represents a group of those opposed to the Vanderbilt Avenue open street who say Washington Avenue has become a nonstop traffic jam that threatens businesses, many of which are owned by women and people of color. Pleas sent to city officials and local open streets organizers have gone largely unheeded, leaving Shikari uncertain her restaurant will survive, she said. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to start off because I, you know, I told you so. I told you so. I feel like I'm like Stephen A. Smith or something like that right now because, you know, the Blasio and the progressives are an accident waiting to happen. Or maybe it's a intentional, we're going to mess up your city waiting to happen. Because we knew that open streets would change the fabric of the city. And what we're talking about here, too, is they're always about pollution in brown and black neighborhoods. Oh, my God, pollution in brown and black neighborhoods. Guess what? When you, when you, when you, when you close off certain streets, you're directing traffic down other streets. And it so happens that, guess what? The best streets in the, in, in the city tend to be less black and brown because the real estate price is higher and black and brown people tend to have less money. Not that they don't have any money, but they tend to have less money, right? So you have the, the traffic, all the traffic, and we've been in that traffic jam uh, during the Washington, uh, going down Washington Avenue when we're coming from Astoria from work at times when we were, we had a couple projects up in Astoria, um, a couple campaigns when we would drive through that open street on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And it would be a traffic jam on Sunday, right? Sunday, you're stuck in a traffic jam. And guess what? The poorer blocks, the side streets that tend to have more black and brown people, our cars are in the traffic jam nonstop. What do you think that is? Emissions, fumes. More, more pollution because cars are idling, right? It's more pollution because at that point, your car is idling, not just moving through briskly like it would normally. But because you have decided that this main street where all the ritzy, uh, wider uh, populations are. And establishments. And establishments are. So now you're, 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 you're putting all the pollution on these outer, outer skirt skirted streets if that's a word um and these people are are feeling the blunt of it they're they're probably breathing in the fumes that because you know people have to drive at the end of the day i know i know like in in this utopian society that you all have made up in your mind no one drives and so you know there's no fumes right and and if you don't have to see it then it's not there but it's still there and here's a business owner telling you that not only has our business suffered but i'm guessing the people that live on the block or have businesses on the block they're also suffering more so from the congestion of all of the traffic right and if you go further into the block into this report they're saying like there's 12 businesses that are black and brown owned that are likely to close now because when the open street in Vanderbilt is open, people don't frequent their businesses as much because there's a traffic jam. So I don't think anybody wants to bring in those fumes. They're not gonna, you know, sit in front of that shop, in front of that shop, and get a, a coffee or whatever it is when they have to hear the traffic jam and see all that nonsense. So they're gonna go to the open street, right? And everybody goes to the open street. And I don't know, I, you know, we were talking about this, and you were going along the lines of of, of some civil litigation. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know what it is, but. 
I think that you were on the right track because you know what? In New York, you can sue for anything. So I definitely know that these businesses have been affected. So I'll leave it at that. And I'll let, let me let you finish up. Look, if I was a person that had a business on one of these streets that are now not being frequently traveled or not being able to uh, service their customers or clientele that would otherwise uh, visit my establishment, I would be furious and I would be seeking um, some type of, of legal recourse. Yeah, exactly. Some type of legal recourse to make sure that I'm recouping the funds that I know that I've lost because look, you, I guess like if depending on how long they've been there, there's a proof you can provide like sales traffic over time. Um, and how this open streets has impacted your business. And then you should be able to somehow, I'm pretty sure there's a lawyer out there that would take it, um, <laughs> come together to sue and try to, uh, you know, get, get some kind of. And I, you know what? You, you, you opened my eyes though, because you know who, who definitely would have a suit. Who? The citizens, the black and brown citizens who are breathing in that pollution. Oh yeah. They definitely would have a, you know, there was no impact study mm-hmm. done to see what would happen to their street. Mm-hmm. as far as pollution goes, because remember, nobody drives. Mm-hmm. So there's your lawsuit right there if you want to get technical with Better it. Better go to your community boards <laughs> and uh, figure out what's going on and what's what and see how y'all can form together if you're, you're, you're suffering more at the hands of this. But I also say if the businesses should also try to seek some kind of, and I'm not about like, um, you know, bankrupting the city more, but if anybody should, should get something out of this, it should be our business, our small business owners who are feeling the blunt of this Hipsterland that we want to try and create. This is not Amsterdam. Well, talking about more spending because of progressive laws. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're running a little out of gas. We drank too much coffee to start. So I'm doing some of the transitions, you guys, so that we can get the show popping and make sure that it's a interesting and entertaining listen as always. I think it was always entertaining. I think that we're not going on too much. People need to hear why we're, we feel the way we feel. Uh, so you heard about all those windows being broken out of the trains. So subway service on the W line is expected to resume normal operations for a Thursday's morning rush after it was suspended most of the day following a vandalism spree on Tuesday evening. The MTA said a vandal or vandal smashed 97 windows on 45 trains from the inside during an approximately 29 hour period ending around 6 a.m. on Wednesday. It appears it happened while the trains were in service. Service was suspended overnight Tuesday and for most of the day, Wednesday, up until the evening commute. So many windows were damaged that officials said they were running out of spare glass to make repairs. Holy cow. I mean, like, are we are we being serious right now? I and, mean, you know, it's a, it's a it's a wild story. It's almost a WTF territory. Um, it, it is in WTF territory, to be honest. The, the idea that, you know... This is happening in the city, and we're headed where we're headed. And there's only one group to blame. There are a few characters to blame. You know, the first one I'll put on the top of that ledger is AOC. Um, you know, and all the other progressives and DSA-minded people that wanted to roll back, you know, our police forces. Um, because ultimately, if we defund the police and we put social workers out there, what would happen? You know, my mom's a social worker. She would have got punched in her mouth. She's five foot nothing. And so, and so many of her work, she's a director of a social work agency, and she definitely has, you know, a lot of workers that are small women like her, you know, um, small women like my wife. And what would happen to them in these situations? You think this vandal is going to back down to a woman with a clipboard saying, hey, what's your problem? You know, uh, are, are you experiencing mental, mental distress right now? Are you experiencing a mental health crisis? Um, do you want to go ahead and 
bash my teeth out right now while, while we're at it. Like, I, I'm sorry you're experiencing that. Um, continue on breaking out the windows and maybe injuring people that are on the train because over hun- hundreds of thousands of con- commuters were impacted by this very act that was carried yeah, out. Thousands, thousands, yeah, tens of thousands even maybe. Yes, yeah, they said hundreds of thousands. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Wow, I thought it was tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. We're affecting the economy once again. Yeah, you know this is work a work day that was lost by so many. Yeah, because they were probably freaked out by what's happening here. And, and I guess I'm feeling like a movie got today because this one takes me to one of my favorites <laughs> of all time. What you know what movie? Oh God, Demolition Man. You got it. Oh God, Demolition Man, baby. <laughs> and when we talk about Demolition Man, there's a scene where Simon Phoenix, who's played by uh, one of my favorites of all time. Wesley, Wesley Snipes. Sni- Wesley Snipes, right? <laughs> of course, baby. You got it. Wesley Snipes is just kicking butt, going through the city. He's a, a super criminal, a, a ultra criminal, hyper criminal. Uh, and these uh, times that, you know, and it's so funny because the, the, the place that they imagine in Demolition Man is what these people believe, the utopia that they could build. Right. And they don't see it for the fascist nonsense that it is. And, and We don't need guns. Yeah, and all the fascism <laughs> that... People don't do crime. Yeah, all the fascism that entails in making that utopian society when you have people that have so much freedom already. But anyway, I digress. Where I was going with that is that they tell Simon Phoenix, who is a super criminal that knows how to use guns and knows karate and several forms of it, they tell him to lay down on the ground forcefully. <laughs> and he has like an iPad telling him to, like the cop, directing the cop who, you know, is un- incapable of, of dealing with this man, tell him to lay down on the ground. And that's essentially what our police force would be under their plans. It'd be people with iPads telling people, uh, the iPad says for you to lay down right now because you're out of control. Yes. And I guess that's what we're going through with the automation. It kind of ties it all up, right? I guess that's what the progressives would want with automation and AI and everything. Yeah. You're going to do what that computer tells you to do right there because, you know, yeah. Or else. Or else. It's it's a (laughs) serious... That's one of the funniest scenes in the movie, so I'm glad you did talk about that. It's really funny. But, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to... We're going to we're going to keep running into these sort of things because we had bail reform and we have this crazy idea, these crazy theories being brought to reality. And that's how we're living now. So I think I mean, do you have any other points you wanted to talk about this vandalism or say any make on this vandalism story? Well, I mean, we're talking about new new uh, titles and like Demolition Man Daily. Mm. We could just compare things to that movie and have a show because it's really ridiculous what these progressives are doing in New York City. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. But one thing that they were, you know, key in making happen is this new move to of Amazon into the historic Lord and Taylor building, correct? Yep. I mean, it, they could have been in Queens. It could have been us, right? Out of boroughs getting these, all these uh, high-dollar uh, workers, uh, high-value workers coming into our neighborhoods that were ready for them because they built so much towers in Long Island City. And that community has already been, you know, gentrified as it is, but it has a lot of towers that are waiting to be filled by people that would have had the commensurate salary and, and the lifestyle that would have wanted to live there. And now we have these empty towers. Um, and no tax revenue. And no tax revenue. And all those businesses that are in Long Island City, those mom and pop businesses that, you know, took grants and took loans and leaned on their families to get money to prepare themselves for the for those businesses to come or left with shiny new uh, outlets that don't have enough customers to maybe keep the lights on for the next year or two. Yep, exactly. And so here we are, Amazon. Um, 
A a historic Fifth Avenue department store is now a modern office building. Amazon this week debuted its new digs at the former Lord & Taylor store in Midtown, which was built in 1914 and served as as its flagship location for more than a century. After purchasing the building in March 2020 for nearly $1 billion, Amazon hired WRNS Studio to design the landmark as a 21st century workplace that embraces its fashionable roots. Three years later, in the midst of of Midtown's recovery from the pandemic, the renovated building is now home to 2,000 employees. Okay, I'm just going to scroll through these pictures, and Ram's going to give you her reactions to them, okay? Because it, it's it's kind of like, I, I think it's the most entertaining thing that we could do for this this segment right here. So let's go ahead. It's a lot of ooh and on. It's beautiful, Gore. It's like completely gorgeous. It's modern. It's got color. It's got glamour. The staircase is magnificent. I'm just like dying every time I look at it. The staircase is, you know, it's a lighted staircase. This pretty blue backdrop with this, I don't know, just like artistic design in the back flow. It's mostly like threads. Yeah. It's, it's like a sweater or something. Oh, it's it's like a woven design that's beautiful. Then you have like this shiplack um, background in the back. Beautiful views of the Empire State Building, awesome terrace with like lighted lights at night that look just picturesque, what you want to see in the city. It's gorgeous, a courtyard. It's beautiful. It's Hudson Yard. It's giving Hudson Yards, but better. It's so high class. It's beautiful, like green velvet seats with round tables, uh, banquette style with beautiful uh, back detailing uh, where people are sitting and reading and it's just like great community feeling. It doesn't feel like work. If I worked here, I would never want to leave. I would never want to leave. I would just die. This is so beautiful. So if anyone does work there, please, 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 that I know or listens, who hates me, likes me, whatever, please invite me. I would love to be in this office. It is great. It's lovely. I can imagine the parties are going to be litty, right? Like for real. Yeah. It's going to be litty 9,000. <laughs> it's gorgeous. I love it. They said we work. Nah, this is, it puts we work to shame. If you've ever been in a we work or any of those modern um you know shared workspaces it's great this is like like this is like bloomberg levels right here you know and it's like in the lord and taylor building it's like it's a shame though that this type of thing couldn't have come to the outer boroughs because it would have done so much for so many people and so many local businesses instead of putting it in a place where you know already has so much going on already yeah i mean it's more big box businesses and more big name retailers that are going to benefit from this and you know obviously AOC and friends they said that we were losing on something but ultimately we had the chance to elevate so many upper middle class and and middle class business owners to another level to empower black and brown businesses and black and brown children and you have to give something to get something so the taxes that we were talking about the tax basically the the tax uh, rebates that we were going to give them or the tax uh, forgiveness that we were going to give them you know, we didn't lose any money by giving it to them because we basically were saying if you make $30 billion worth of taxes or you owe $30 billion worth of taxes, you only have to pay $27 billion. And for that, we would have got a community that not only because we had that partnership with uh, Bishop Taylor and his organization, Urban Upbound, which is a black owned church, a black, a black church and the large black community that's in Long Island City and the surrounding area between Ravenswood, uh, Queens Ridge Houses. Queensbridge is where Nas is from and so many great rappers came, came from. And I, I forgot the Storio houses and there are you know, three major Nitro projects that would have benefited from their children interacting and being part of this community. And, you know, it's not like they could get priced out of Nitro. It's, it's government housing. So you had this 
chance for synergy to build a black community and not only that to help these lower and, and, and lower lower and lower middle class children become part of the workforce but as upper middle class and upper class workers because they would be engulfed and in, in, entrenched in steam and and and, and other um, you know technology uh, based uh, adventures and, and 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 just it would be part of the environment that they live in yeah, and we lost that. And yep. you have to give something to get something. It's common sense, and time and time again, every plan they have ends up with less for black and brown people. Yep. And, well, I mean, what you, you what you just said was really brilliant. I would add to it, but it doesn't need anything added. It's true. Uh, you, you ripped away a great opportunity for many. Uh, and for me, you took away an opportunity for me to lobby. <laughs> so, you know, here we go. We're going to go ahead and move over to our WTF story of the day. This is something that I've been telling you all the time, Kyle. So this is I told you so uh, segment for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and it's specifically targeted at you alone. But you want to go ahead and read it? Okay, no problem. FDA panel says common over-the-counter decongestant doesn't work. The ingredient called phenylephrine, is, I don't know how to say that. I'm sorry. I, I, it's Sudafed. It's found in a number of over-the-counter cold and allergy medicines. So the key ingredient in many of the over-the-counter uh, cold and allergy medications doesn't work and to get rid of nasal congestion. The Food and Drug Administration advisory panel concluded on Thursday. The unanimous vote, which specifically declared oil formulations ineffective, is expected to disrupt the market for OTC cold and allergy remedies when consumers largely prefer pills over nasal sprays. So they're basically saying your NyQuil doesn't work, your Benadryl, the liquid Benadryl doesn't work, but they're saying the pills might work. But Ram, what do you think? I don't think any of it works. I've always said that it's a placebo. I'd have to say that... This is a part of Big Pharma, and I mean, maybe people don't include it, but I think over-the-counter medications a lot of the time, unless, like, maybe, with the exception of, like, maybe a cough drop or a throat lozenge, a lot of it is just, like, in your mind, and it doesn't really heal you in any way. All it's doing is just kind of making you forget that you have the ailment that you have by making you think that you're really doing something about it. And I'm more attuned to thinking that the holistic approach is better. Like, give me some ginger if I have a sore throat. Give me some lemon, some ginger, or you know what I'm saying? Like, I'd rather, like, actually heal myself versus giving, taking whatever they say is better for me because it's uh, it's a scary, you know, scary world out there. And, and when I say vitamins, I'm not talking about the vitamins that you normally get out of the over-the-counter too. You kind of make your own vitamins by taking in the right supplements or the right amount of greens and like actual real elderberry, those types of things, not the stuff that they package up inside of the store for us because they, they've told us, they've been telling us for years, though, they, they go on and they'll say, you know, you should take an aspirin, you shouldn't take an aspirin, you should take, you should take Tylenol, no, Tylenol is bad for your kidneys, like, all these things, so, like, it doesn't really surprise me any, this is, you know, it's a good WTF, though, because I do see you taking so much stuff for your nose, I know my father has a lot of sinus issues, and, you know, my younger sister and y'all are always taking allergy medicines and all that stuff, and well, I just think... It doesn't matter. I think none of it works. I think that it doesn't work at all and you just think that it's working and it's just actually probably making it worse for you because you have a dependency on whatever stupid stuff they put inside of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. You know, I just wanted to, I guess the last part that I was going to bring up was like, you know, to tie a bow and everything because <laughs> we're talking about drug laws and we're talking about like society as a whole and 
You know, the reason why they, they started using phenylephrine is because we couldn't use pseudoephedrine, which is um, the drug, the, the compound within many of these uh, drugs that was there before. Because people were making meth, right? Because people were making meth with it, right? So this was to curb meth. And because those people wanted to make meth with pseudofed, we can't have nice things like our nose is clear. Right. And it's really it's really sad. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sense because it does it does feel completely different. If you think about NyQuil, like when you're a little kid, when we were little, when we were younger, because we're both millennials, I'm in my 30s, you're, you know, getting up there near 40 now. So, you know, during the time when we were younger and we used some of those medications, I think that those medications may have been more effective, right? Like the NyQuil, even like the Vicks Vapor Rub, it just felt stronger back in the day. I don't know if you noticed it, but to me, I feel like Vicks doesn't really open up your nasal passage the same way that it used to because it seems like it's been kind of like dummy down like the the intensity of like even the eucalyptus or whatever it is that we're experiencing when we when we smell that is very you know muted muted compared to what it was well it still works for me because i just shove it right up my nose well i don't do all that because like my grandma like if you're you know your grandma put it on your forehead a little dab right there on your chest and it kind of opened up back in the day you could feel the burn from it like a little bit of like a sting it felt like a sting but now you don't get anything so i feel like a lot of the stuff that's on the market now isn't as good because i feel like our regulations have went down and again, it'll. I'm, I'm going to say this, and it might not be popular. I'm glad you said that, and that's where I wanted you to go. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So our regulations have gone down. So do you still agree with Vivek on cutting 75% and cutting out so much regulations from the economy? Listen, I don't agree with cutting down all regulation. I think that what I said is that certain things could be streamlined, and we do need something more. Because obviously we already have, what is that, a nutrition component to our government that he wanted to cut out? And we're yeah, like, what what, what do <laughs> they do, right? So maybe maybe we can, re, we, we can refigure and reformat the government in a way that actually is effective and works. Because one of the things that I would like to do is making sure that the USDA actually does work and that we're not subsidizing people to put out subpar food and sub and raise subpar animals and that we are actually uh you know taking a, a line and subsidizing halal kosher those types of farmers as well so that we know that we're getting produce that is good we're getting uh you know meat that is good and so we won't have so many issues with our sinuses because all this stuff is tied together and it also will cut down on comorbidities and um a lot of the uh uh obesity that we see in this country okay all right i mean i'm gonna Leave it at that. I thought I got you, and then you, you just fire up a machine gun at my forehead, and I feel pretty dumb. But uh, <laughs> No, don't feel dumb. Don't feel dumb. I was ready um, for you today. <laughs> you're ready. All right. All right. Fair enough. So let's let's do the thing. All right. Thank you so much for listening. This was our episode 15. Please continue to listen. Like. You know the rest. What is it? I always forget. Oh, my goodness. Like, subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much.